Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. I'd like to thank you for joining us again today. And we're going to continue today what I began last week with a broadcast entitled The Spirit of Adoption, The Promise of the Father. And today, this is really part two of that broadcast. But before we jump forward, let's go back just a little bit and catch what we spoke about last time. We spoke that before time began, before the universe was created, God had a plan. That plan, theologians call his predestination plan, that he would have a family, that in the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, would be joined by covenant where two become one, and God planned for his family from all eternity past to have sons and daughters in his family. Now, I know you've heard in catechism classes, you've heard in homilies, you've heard in broadcast, we are God's children. That's not kind of a iffy, pious description. God, our Father, and our being a part of his heavenly family is more real, more enduring, more eternal than our own earthly families. In fact, our earthly families are to reflect that heavenly family. So, this is God's eternal purpose, but that purpose really begins, it gets going in our lives when we have an experiential knowledge that is located at the very core of our being that makes us know that we're loved by God the Father. And I say an experiential knowledge, not a notional knowledge, just like I know it's going to be sunny this afternoon, I know that George Washington was a great general, and I know that God loves me. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a, a knowledge that becomes alive within that in so many ways even awakens us to a destiny we didn't even know we had. And this is something that occurs at the very core of our being, and it awakens something that makes the entire rest of the Christian life fall into place. Conversely, if we try spiritual formation with ourselves or with our children or with our classes or with our youth group and leave this important primary first step out, it's kind of like building a fire. Recently, I was clearing some dead wood out of some uh, treed area where I live. And, you know, I piled the wood rather high. And no matter if I piled the wood a foot high or three feet high or even 10 feet high, I could keep piling things on like catechesis, youth groups, uh, Christian schooling, Catholic homeschooling, uh, Orthodox Catholic colleges, just keep piling it high. But if the fire isn't lit, all I've done is pile things high and in a certain sense it becomes a dead weight. There's no fire within that actually bring all of that knowledge alive. So that's why it begins with the spirit of adoption. 
And last week, I emphasized a couple of verses, in fact, three verses, from Romans chapter 8. And remind you again, Romans, Paul's epistle, was written to the early Roman Catholic Church in Rome, Italy. And this is what he said, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You have received the spirit of sonship when we cry, Abba, Father. It is the Spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And again, this is not a parrot answer to a catechism question, and there's great things as far as having catechism questions and answers, but this is something that's sent from heaven itself, the Spirit of adoption bears witness with our spirit in the core of our being that we are children of God. And I'd just like to say to parents, this is the thing your children are going to need in the days ahead. We'll talk about that in the future and future broadcasts, but let it be known for now, this is the anchor for us in the times we're living. Now, how important or how primary or how central is this whole notion of God's fatherhood and the promise of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of adoption? I'm going to read you a short passage from a book entitled Children of God by Father Coutage. When I was a new Catholic, Scott Hahn and I were both speaking at a family conference and he found a copy of this book, and he said to me, this is a really important book. It, it, it kind of gets to the heart as much as any book that I know, what's at the heart of the Catholic faith. Now, if somebody at gunpoint would make me reduce my library by 90 or 95, 97%, this book would stay. This is a keeper. In fact, it's not even in print, but I'm going to give you the juiciest part of this entire book. Just by way of example, I know a young man who's just about ready to formally profess his religious vows, and I purchased for him three books, and I went to the used book market and got him a copy of this one because I think it's just this important. So I'm going to give you the best of the best of Father Coutage's book, Children of God, and I quote, Our divine adoption is the central concept of Christianity. The truth to which all the others relate and towards which they all converge. The truth through which they become clear and around which they are synthesized. All other truths flow from it as from their source, radiate from it as from their center, rest upon it as it is their foundation. God loves us as a father. And so if you're talking about spiritual formation, spiritual knowledge, catechism, seminary formation, adult formation, you name it, this is the jewel, this is the hub upon which all others relate upon which all others are synthesized to. It's their foundation. It's the center. It's the source. He goes on. The words paternoster, or our father, that Jesus himself placed at the beginning of the prayer he taught us, 
might well be engraved in golden letters over the portals of all of our churches. To sum up and divine what is taught in them and the substance and purpose of their religious ceremonies. Imagine going into every Catholic parish on this planet and seeing in gold letters, Our Father. Two words that can summarize all that goes on inside of those doors. Last paragraph. God is our Father. We are His children. This is the whole of our holy religion. The reason Christianity is different from other religions and surpasses them infinitely is because it is the religion of the children of God, the religion of a God who is our Father. The work of the Holy Spirit which the Bible calls the spirit of adoption, that's from Romans chapter eight, the role of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of adoption, is to fulfill that promise of the Holy Father, Heavenly Father, to love us as his sons and daughters. When we cry, Abba, Father, that's when the spirit of adoption comes into our hearts and we know instinctively, responsively, at the very center of our being, that God loves us. And this is the heart and the center of the Roman Catholic faith. Now, if someone took your heart out or my heart out, we wouldn't be doing too well, would we? Now, we could bring in all the surgeons and technicians and nurses and medical technology and all kinds of medicines But if our heart was out, all of that wouldn't do us much good, would it? And think of all the things that we do as Catholics, as substitutes for keeping the heart of our faith at the heart of our faith, keeping the first things first, making the primary things primary. As parents, what we try to get across to our kids, the main thing The main thing, the main thing is the thing we want to emphasize. Now, you might ask, are you really sure about this? Are you really sure that God's fatherhood and that living experiential knowledge of his love for us as his real and literal children is so central and primary in the Catholic faith? Yes, and this is going to be real simple. I have two witnesses to go along with what I just shared with you from St. Paul's epistles to the Roman Catholics in Rome, Italy in the first century, Father Coutage, which I consider just about as good as you get as a Catholic theological writer. This comes from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, and it comes from the prologue. In other words, this is the very, very first thing in the Catechism. Now, Cardinal Schornborn wasn't sitting around with the gifted authors who composed the catechism, and they weren't asking themselves, hey, you know what, we got to start this thing with something. What should we stick in there? No. They put something first because it was primary. They put something first because it was important. They put something first because if you miss this one, all of the rest of the catechism is like a blank slate when you're trying to convey it to a child. So, How did that catechism begin? 
begins with the word Father. And again, this didn't just drop in there by chance. Father is the first word of our catechism. And the first sentence goes in the prologue, Father, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And the first paragraph of the catechism, when the fullness of time had come, God, that's God the Father, sent his Son as Redeemer and Savior. In his Son and through him, he invites men to become, in the Holy Spirit, his adopted children and thus heirs of his blessed life. In eternal life, we're not just going to be ghost-like it's floating around in never-never land. We don't land in hell, but just some kind of non-existence. Now, as much as you enjoy Thanksgiving dinner with your family or opening presents on Christmas morning with your family, eternal life is going to be in a family that is actually going to be more blessed than Thanksgiving with all your loved ones gathered together around the table. This is what it's all about. And yet people are running around thinking, doing this, doing that, and just losing the center of what God wants to do. And to get this, you don't have to get further than the first word, the first sentence, and the first section of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. A second place, and this is my second testimony, and it's a great place to spend a little bit of time. And honestly, well, I'm going to share with you as a parent what I think about this chapter in a minute, but it's Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, Jesus says, it says in Luke 11, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And then his disciples came up to him and said, you know, John the Baptist taught his disciples how to pray. And obviously they noticed that there was something in prayer that made Jesus unique, that he had had a relationship with God that they really wanted in on. So they said, teach us to pray. And prayer is kind of our portal into our life with God. And what did Jesus say when he taught them how to pray? Well, the first word was just like the first word in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. He said, pray then like this, Father, Father, hallowed be thy name. Everything else that comes in our life of prayer and thus our relationship with God flows out of that. And you know what? So many things in our own lives go haywire because maybe we're even diligent in prayer, but forget the first word that Jesus taught us. That's to color, that's to permeate, that's to enliven, uh, to energize our entire life of prayer. Just as we go through here, it says, for instance, our needs. Give us this day our daily bread. Anybody out there have um, daily bread anxieties, financial anxieties? Boy, I sure wish I could say I never did. Uh, I have had them. I do have them. 
what does Jesus say about anxieties? Well, he goes on and on about it in Matthew chapter 6. He says, your father, he feeds the birds, takes care of them. In fact, when I go to Walmart and buy bird seed, I'm thinking <laughs> I'm fulfilling something. This is almost an involuntary action. Why am I giving my money for bird seed? But God sees that the birds are fed. You a little faith? Your father knows your needs before you ask him. He's going to take care of you. Uh, there's no sense for us running around with anxieties. And I know my anxieties when I forget that I have a father. How about the one, forgive us our sins? I am convinced that this is perhaps the hardest thing for Christians to do. Believe that God can love them even though they have sinned and done some really terrible things and struggle with guilt. And that's because we forget that God is a father. And we forget verses like 11 and 12 of Psalm 103, which says, as far as the east is from the west, that's pretty far, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. I mean, imagine two fighter jets back to back and then just taking off one east and one west as far away from us, as fast away from us as possible. That's how far he removes our transgressions from us. Why does he do that? Well, if we read the next verse, verse 13 of Psalm 103, it says, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, I would be doing something like playing ball inside I wasn't supposed to be doing and broke something that I, you know, my parents, even stuff they liked or wrecked my dad's car and stuff like that. You know what? He, he didn't uh, kick me out of the house. He, he didn't disinherit me. He didn't say, you're no longer my son, stuff like that. Maybe I got a little upset, but, you know, that's an earthly father. Um, as a father pities his children, we're talking about a God who, before he made the universe, wanted us to be his children. I can't, I don't, I don't have this all, one all figured out why all this started, but that's who he is. And because of that, he pities us. And that's why when we go and we have guilt that maybe we even try to take with us after we go out of confession, which we certainly shouldn't, we just need to remember one thing. The God whom we're praying to forgive us our trespasses is a father who pities his children and loves them and removes their sins as far away from them as the east is from the west. How about this other one in the Our Father? Remember, that colors everything. Lead us not into temptation. Uh, who of us doesn't want protection for whatever that um, somebody will save us from moral, from physical harm or whatever? I mean, how do we know that um, God will protect us, that God will, in fact, keep us from evil, keep us from hell? Well, it's trusting our Father. Now, we're going to have a short 
YouTube video on our website uh, coming up about a father, earthly father, Tom Vanderwood, who died in a septic tank, who drowned in sewage because his Down syndrome son fell into a septic tank. And in order to save him, he went into that septic tank and at the cost of his life held his Down syndrome son up while he slowly drowned in sewage. That's a great earthly Catholic dad. And maybe that's just a a little sliver of insight to the one who will keep us from temptation and deliver us from evil, both in time and eternity. Who is he? He's our Father who is in heaven. Now, as you go through Luke 11, that's what the Our Father is all about. And I could go on about this for quite a while, but this is supposed to be your whole life. You don't leave this. You don't study this and move on. This is, this is your life. This is your Catholic life. This is what it means to live like Jesus, is to pray like Jesus. And he taught us Father, okay? Then Jesus goes on and speaks about the need of a certain persistence in prayer. And he tells the story of a friend went to him at midnight and said, I, I need three loaves of bread. And the guy's in bed. He doesn't want to get out. And he says, no. So the person keeps up the request, banging on the door. Look, I really need three loaves of bread. And, he, and, and basically, in order to get rid of them, the guy gets up and gives them his loaves of bread. Okay? Right after that is the famous ask, seek, and knock that most of us remember that Jesus taught us. He said, and I tell you, right after this persistent request, I tell you, ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. And so Jesus was talking about something that we really need persistence in prayer. And then he goes back and says, for everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. But what is he talking about? Then he goes, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You see, we can just pile on pious religious activities. We can pile on religious facts in catechism classes and youth groups and adult formation, Catholic colleges, Catholic schools, Catholic homeschools. But if we first don't have this deep experiential knowledge of the love of God the Father, which the Holy Spirit brings to the core of our being, all that could simply be dead weight. I'm sorry, but it's just dead weight. This is what has to happen first. And so in the context of our Father and knowing our Father, 
It's the Holy Spirit. It's the good gift from the Father. And what's the good gift from the Father is the Father's love. And if you have that, it colors everything in your Catholic life. And I dare say that I look back on my own fatherhood, and I wished I had more consistent and persistent prayer for the depth of the Holy Spirit in my own children's life. I would pray maybe on and off, but I think this should be a focus for Catholic parents and catechists and priests and teachers and deacons and college professors. Get this one across and all else will follow. But you know, uh, I don't know about you, I have a tendency to kind of just get up and go, run ahead. And Jesus said, stay. Luke 24, 49, and behold, I send you the promise of my Father upon you, but stay, stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Get this first one first, or else you're just getting the cart before the horse and all of a sudden things will never get anywhere. Second verse, Acts 1 and verse 4, and while staying with them, he charged them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait, wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, John baptized with water, but before many days you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then third set of verses, that was Luke 24, 49, Acts 1, 4 and 5, and now Acts 2, 22, 33, and the disciples obeyed, okay? They waited before they launched mission, before they launched a new evangelization, before they tried to convert the evil empire. They waited, they stayed, they prayed, they focused, they kept first things first, and therefore, Acts 2.33, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this which you see and hear. Thousands converted, one sermon, an empire basically converted into Christendom. That's what comes when we realize that all who receive him, Jesus, who believe in his name, he gave power to become children of God. The spirit of adoption is the best friend of parents and their children they can conceivably have. This has been Episode 30 of Faith and Family Radio. Until next time, this is Steve Wood. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at familylifecenter.net. To order a CD copy of today's broadcast, order online at www.familylifecenter.net.